This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. We are trucking along in the Kickstarter. Our big goal for the campaign is to get over 20,000 backers. If we do, Hover will give us $25,000. So really, any amount you give matters. And I really like the $1 and $5 pledges. I can't stress this enough because it's probably all you can afford. And trust me, I understand. I have been there recently. And you just took the time to vote for Radiotopia. And we can take that vote of confidence and turn it into a lot more money. How often can your $1 investment in something yield a 2.5 million percent return? I, I think I did that math right. And please, do it now before we get too far behind in our back account. This is the kind of goal that can't be achieved at the last minute. It's just too big. I really want to tell you that we hit the goal on next week's show. That would be super fun. Also, we are currently working towards a stretch goal of $400,000, which will allow us to greenlight three new shows. The first one is amazing. It's called Criminal True Crime Stories, done really, really well. I call it truer crime. They've already made 10 episodes, but we want to pull them into the fold and increase their production. The next is called The Heart. It's a beautifully produced show about the triumphs and terrors of human intimacy. It is not for kids. A lot of it can't go on the radio, but it's one of those really high-quality audio productions that podcasting was made for. And the third new show that's being created just for Radiotopia is from Helen Zaltzman of Answer Me This, who I've raved about before on previous episodes. This brand new program peels back the surface of language to find out why we say the things we say. I couldn't be more excited about this. Not only are these shows fantastic, these additions will also mean that we'll have the same number of female hosts and male hosts in Radiotopia. Radio and the techie world of podcasts really need that right now. I hope you'll support us. Go to radiotopia.fm or search for Radiotopia on Kickstarter. 20,000 backers, that includes you. So please pledge now. Thanks. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. This is our special Halloween episode, so I'm going to turn up a little bit of this. And a little of this. Just to get us in the mood. Oh, and here, here's some loons. Loons are creepy. All right. A couple of weekends ago, the whole 99PI team got together to do something none of us had done since we were 13 and at slumber parties. I feel like we need to like recite something first, right? And it basically sounds exactly like it did when we were 13 at slumber parties. Who's there? You're just pushing it. You're out. You are. That night at my house, we turned out all the lights and lit candles and attempted to summon the spirit world with a Ouija board. That's producer Katie Mingle. She was our host that evening. You gotta rest your fingers on oh, it. Like I'm not, we were using a homemade board that Avery designed in the style of a store-bought Ouija board. Two arced rows of letters, the top row A through M, the second row N through Z, and then below the letters, a straight row of all the single-digit numbers. And then, of course, yes and no in the upper left and right corners, respectively, and goodbye at the bottom of the board. So the way Ouija is supposed to work is participants, usually two, though sometimes more, ask a question to the spirits. And then they, the participants, lightly rest their fingers on a planchette, which is the pointer that slides around the board. 
And you're not supposed to push the planchette, Sam Greenspan. You're supposed to allow the spirits to guide it around the board, indicating what letters or words they're attempting to communicate. E-Q-U-P? The Ouija board is so simple and iconic, and it looks like it comes from another time. Like it has real history, which it turns out is more than just good design. People have been gathering around a board like this one for about 130 years. Hi, my name is Robert Merch. Most people call me Merch, and I'm considered the world's foremost expert on Ouija and talking boards. Merch also collects boards and all sorts of other Ouija-related artifacts. So the stuff is everywhere. You know, I, I frame things. The, the arrangement I have with my husband is that I can only put things on the wall that can be framed. Now, when he made that agreement, he didn't realize that I could frame anything. So, um, yeah, that was unfortunate for him. Merch says to understand where talking boards came from. That's the generic term, talking boards. You have to go back to the middle of the 1800s to three sisters in New York. The Fox sisters, they are really what starts this explosion of mediumship and spiritualism in America and beyond. The Fox sisters claimed to be mediums to the spirit world. And in public demonstrations, they would ask questions of the spirits and receive audible knocks back on the wall. Knocks that they translated into letters of the alphabet. The Fox sisters were a sensation. They were the most visible faces of a growing movement known as spiritualism, which held that spirits of the dead could be contacted by the living and that they had secret knowledge to impart. When tales of the Fox sisters swept through American newspapers, more and more people started to believe. During and after the Civil War, spiritualism became even more important to people. Everyone had, you know, whether it was a father, a son, a grandfather, an uncle, you know, they all lost somebody. People just went away and they didn't come back. So what else are you going to do? You know, you turn to trying to make contact with these people who are gone. And in 1886, the fledgling Associated Press ran an article in papers all over the country about these new talking boards coming out of the spiritualist movement in Ohio. It's unclear whether he read the article, but a few years later, in 1890, a businessman named Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, realized this talking board could make him lots and lots of money. Kennard pulled together a small group of investors and formed the Kennard Novelty Company to exclusively make and market talking boards. Contrary to popular belief, the name Ouija is not a combination of the French and German words for yes, we, and ja. Merch says that according to documents belonging to the original founders of the company, they sat down and asked the board itself what it wanted to be called. And letter by letter, it spells out O-U-I-J-A. And when they ask the board what that means, the board spells out good luck. They called the board Ouija, the Egyptian luck board. They added Egyptian just for a little exotic flair. The patented Ouija board looked a lot like the talking boards that came out of the spiritualist movement. The only real substantial change was that the Ouija board put the letters of the alphabet in a double arc instead of two straight lines across. There have been a few small design changes since the early boards. For example, there was once a full moon and a crescent moon in the top left and right hand corners. Eventually, the full moon became a sun, which is what you see now. 
But through the years, the brand has always been very identifiable. So the, the Ouija board has always been very simple. Anyone who looked at it would know, okay, that's a Ouija board. By 1893, Charles Kennard had left the company, and it was taken over by William Fold, who had come to be known as the father of Ouija. Fold's New York Times obituary actually credited him with inventing the board, which, of course, he did not do. But he was incredibly good at selling it. Instead of being a straight-up evangelist for the boards, he'd purport to be one of the skeptics. He would say, um, I don't believe in the Ouija board. You know, I'm no spiritualist. I'm a Presbyterian. And then at the same time, same interview, he would say, but we lost a shipment of Ouija boards on the train tracks and we asked the board where they were and it told us and then they went down that track and sure enough they found that the train had derailed and we found all our boards. Whether the board worked and how it worked, whether it was just a game or a more serious spiritual tool, was something Fold kept intentionally mysterious. And this marketing strategy was extremely successful. Everyone had one. People played at home with their families. Ladies played at tea parties. In fact, one of the boards in Merch's collection doubles as a tea tray. People even played with their little kids, which might seem kind of weird now. Fast forward a couple of decades, around 1920, and Ouija is still good, clean family fun. And it turned out it was also a great thing to do on a date. So you're coming out of Victorian times when men and women are not supposed to be alone together. Uh, They're not supposed to be in the dark together. They're not supposed to be touching. So the, the original Ouija board would be placed on your lap. Your knees would be touching. Your fingers would be touching on the planchette. You know, you would be doing it by candlelight. And you can see really quickly that the directions add in, you know, two people, a man and a woman preferred. And if you need proof of what a normal part of Americana the Ouija board was, look no further than the king of Americana himself, Norman Rockwell. In 1920, he made a painting of a man and a woman in the position Merch just described. Knees touching, he looking flirtatiously at her, a Ouija board resting in their laps. Of course, Ouija always had a few naysayers, and some of the first and loudest were actually the people whose jobs these talking boards had just stolen. We see mediums actually saying, these things are dangerous. You don't know what kind of doors you're opening. You need someone like me who's experienced to guide you through this unseen world. Now, why would they say that? Well, because it's cutting into their profession, their money. But naysayers stayed on the fringe through the years. Oh, sure, there'd be the occasional, the Ouija board told me to do it murder that would make it into the news. But they were few and far between. Throughout the decades, Ouija mostly held on to its wholesome reputation. Until... The Exorcist. Released in 1973, I had to sleep in my parents' bedroom for a week after I saw this when I was a kid. Keep away! The sour is mine! At the beginning of the movie, the main character's mother discovers she's been playing with a Ouija board. The Exorcist is really the first big media moment that infers that playing a Ouija board by yourself could lead to demonic possession. 
The following years saw the Ouija board denounced by religious groups as Satan's preferred method of communication. Ouija boards aren't harmless. Seances aren't harmless. Listen, don't be playing games on Halloween. Don't call on demons because they'll come and live with you. The Bible says he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. Pat Robertson is pretty extreme, but still the image of the board changed a lot since that Norman Rockwell painting in 1920. Parker Brothers and later Hasbro, which acquired Parker Brothers in 1991, still sells a lot of boards. But the reason people buy them has changed. It's not good, clean family fun anymore. Now people buy them because they want to get scared. There's another Ouija movie just released called Ouija, which will do nothing to change the board's sinister reputation. Come on, you guys. Who's doing that? Sarah, cut it out. I'm not pushing it. Just spelled high friend. Hey, this is freaking me out. I'm done with this. But a sinister reputation is fine with Hasbro. In fact, they put up a lot of the money for that new Ouija movie. They've also released a new version of the game and changed the tagline, which used to be... It's just a game, isn't it? The new tagline? Do not play the Ouija board if you think it's just a game. The design of the new board is different, too. For the first time in a very long time, the Ouija board got a makeover. They've added a couple of modern features, like a purple light in the planchette, but overall, they've tried to make the board look older than the classic board. It's brown and kind of weathered, and it looks like something you might find on a pirate ship. They've really gone for uh, the older look, which is neat, because again, people assume these boards have been around for thousands of years, which we know isn't true, but belief is important to the Ouija board. Belief is very important to the Ouija board, especially subconscious beliefs. Which brings us finally to how these things work. Basically, when it comes to the Ouija board, the reason that it seems to work, it feels as if it works, is down to something called the idiomotor effect. Um, And what that is essentially is non-conscious muscular movements. That's Professor Chris French. I am head of the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths University of London. And before you ask, anomalistic psychology is the psychology of weird stuff. The term idiomotor effect was first coined by an English physician and researcher named William Benjamin Carpenter back in 1852, right when spiritualism was starting to become popular both in Europe and the U.S. So the idiomotor effect applies in the case of Ouija in that our bodies are making small subconscious movements that are guided by a suggestion or some subconscious knowledge. And so particularly once the first letter or two has been has, has been made apparent, then you kind of get an idea of what's going to come next. So if it was spelling out a name and it spelt out the letter B and then an O, you might well be thinking, no, it's probably going to be Bob. And the idiomotor effect becomes magnified as more people play. One of the very interesting things that happens when you talk to people who have played around with Ouija boards is that they will very often claim that they've got answers from the Ouija board that nobody around the board actually knew that. So that proves that it was some kind of external agency. Professor French says that what's happening here is that our subconscious mind does actually know the answer. Our conscious mind just can't access the information. And researchers are so convinced of this, they've even used Ouija boards to study our subconscious. 
So for example, in one of these studies, participants were asked simple fact-based questions like, is Buenos Aires the capital of Brazil? They got the answers right about 50% of the time. But when they used a Ouija board to help them answer the same questions... They actually got higher scores then. They got the answers right about 65% of the time. So in other words, they did know the answer, even if they couldn't consciously access it. There have been all kinds of studies done on paranormal experiences. And Professor French says they never reveal an external or spiritual force at work. They always reveal an internal force at work, even if it's a subconscious one. I don't have any doubts in my mind that we can explain the vast majority of ostensibly paranormal experiences by looking to psychology. Whether or not we can explain every single one is the $64,000 question. Wasn't there an oh. R? Isn't it FR? Yeah, FR. Was there an R? Yeah. yeah. When we played Ouija at my house, the planchette seemed less to be governed by the idiomotor effect and more by the law of inertia. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Essentially, it's not moving. <laughs> and our experience wasn't terribly strange or creepy. It was mostly just slow. It's kind of moved. Look, it moved, it moved a little bit. But Merch has played enough times to have had some weird experiences. Some, I think, are just... The person's pushing it and they don't know it. It's clearly idiomotor motor response. Um, other times it's answered things that just seem so bizarre that how would it know? You know, if you can talk to the spirit world, why wouldn't the Ouija board work? And the real question is, can you make contact with the spirit world? And, and that's a question that has been dogging humanity since the beginning of time. Since the first time someone realized when they died... They didn't come back. After everyone left my house that night, I was sitting on my couch by myself. It was really quiet. I hadn't blown out all the candles yet, so there was kind of a mood. And then... One of my spring-loaded blinds slammed up and scared the shit out of me. And I have to admit, I looked at the Ouija board, and I wondered, just for a second... It's just a game, isn't it? Ouija boards, would you work for me? I have got to say hello to an old friend. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Katie Mengel with Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. It was reported by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie and adapted from a piece she wrote for the Smithsonian Magazine. We are a project of 91.7 Local Public Radio KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interior design firm located in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 99% Invisible is supported by the 9,109 backers to our current Kickstarter campaign. Is that you? That could be you. And by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. The other night, when we were all together at Katie's house using the Ouija board, I thought of the idea of manufacturing a new Ouija board comprised of emoji symbols. We would call it Emoija or Emoiji, depending on how you say Ouija or Ouija. And right then and there, Sam jumped on his phone and registered Emoija.com on Hover. I don't know if we'll ever make the thing, but we licked the cookie and now it's ours. And if we do follow through, 
we'll all be millionaires. So watch out. Go to Hover.com and stake a claim on your million-dollar idea and use the code Ouija, and I'll save you 10%. Hover is the one giving us the $25,000 if you back us right now. They believe in us, and I really hope you do too. Support is also provided by Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. The spirits from the other side have something to say. What do you got to say, spirits? Oh, spirits. Kind and dear spirits. What will the first digit of our Kickstarter outcome be? Is the ghost of Yancey Strickler there? (laughs) He's still alive. (laughs) He donated to our campaign. Well, it says seven. So seven. seven. Wow. That's pretty. That's pretty good. That's solid. That's good. Thanks, spirits. <laughs> that means at least seven hundred thousand. Though I think we could do a little bit more. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind Mailchimp. Speaking of Mailchimp. They and the Knight Foundation were instrumental in us forming Radiotopia, and I just spent a week in New York City with the Topians, and I've never felt more excited about what we're doing for public radio and what we're making together. Please go to radiotopia.fm or search for Radiotopia on Kickstarter and become a backer. And be sure to follow along on Twitter at Roman Mars or on our Facebook page as we approach the big goal. It's going to be epic. Thanks.